The meeting will now begin. The format of this meeting is two 10-minute speakers followed by our information break, and then our main speaker who will speak for 30 minutes. Our first 10-minute speaker is Sherry G. Thank you so much. Hi, everyone. My name is Sherry. I am an alcoholic. Um, really great to be here tonight. Love it that everyone here is so organized. Wow. It's really something. Okay. So uh, the date of my last drink is January 26, 1997. I'm sponsored by Amy G., and uh, I'm presently working steps four and five and sponsoring other women and taking them through the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. So I'm gonna let you know, I'm gonna just like give you an idea of where I was at in 22 years of sobriety when I met up with Amy G in April of uh, 2020. So, um, I was living between two provinces. I am in Canada, you know. I, you know, I had unceremoniously left one job. I was, I mean, the list, you know, the list goes on. My, okay, the most important thing is my life was pretty unmanageable and I was really not seeing how I was powerless at all in these ways in my life. You know, just 100% playing God again. But, you know, I'm a crazy alcoholic, so I couldn't even see it, you know. Um, so I started uh, Amy's sponsor. Holly S. is a very good friend of mine. So I started working with Amy. And, uh, you know, she asked me a million-dollar question, willing to go to any length. And I said, yes, I am. So we started our journey together. Um, you know, fast forward about two months later, I'm up in uh, Northeastern Ontario with my elderly mother. There is no internet service at her house. So I have to go over to the municipal office every morning <laughs> to connect so I, can, so I can talk to Amy and do my big book reading. So already, you know, God was bringing me to believe that something greater than myself, you know, my sanity could be restored. And I'm doing this every morning. And I have to tell you, I'm not jumping, you know, I'm not doing a little hittity hop over the municipal office. I'm going like, oh my goodness, what have I gotten myself into? Um, you know, my life, like everything that I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous had really come back, you know, alibis, 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 list of resentments. There was like, you know, and I had just so separated myself from a loving God as he may express himself. You know, I did not drink. I did not pick up a drink. Um, but I'll tell you, like, life was getting pretty painful again. Um, you know, I really do. I love AA. I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I have never stopped loving Alcoholics Anonymous. But I cannot tell you how painful it is to be, to stay in these rooms and not to do what's being suggested as a program of recovery. And, uh, you know, 
there I was. Also, you know, at that time, didn't really have sponsees because, you know, it took a lot of time, concentration. And I just really, you know, I have really eased myself out of AA. So Amy, very patiently, very diligently, daily, started getting me to live in the 24 hours again, you know, putting one step in front of the other. And I did not want to be caring for my very elderly mother. You know, when um, when I arrived back up where she was living, the uh, her nursing practitioner said, Sherry, she can't live on her own anymore. And, and if you leave her unattended, I will put her in the hospital. And I was like, oh, my goodness. So, you know, so much has happened. I thought my life was, you know, going to be great if I didn't have to take care of my mom. I thought my life was going to be great if all these things, you know, were to happen. But here I am, and this is where God has me. My mother lives in an apartment across the hall from me, and I am her primary caregiver. And, uh, you know, it's all really good. Um, I have been doing the most extensive step four that I've ever done in my sobriety. And um, it really amazes me how attached I became to my victimhood on so many levels and how long my stories were about everyone else and everything. And, you know, through the grace of God and working with Amy, I can really see my part in it and really ultimately has set me free you know just like bringing God into into my day because I was really living a life very separate from God you know I was God of everything mastering everything taking care of everyone and everything and believe me it wasn't going that well um what else? Like so many beautiful things have happened. You know, I've returned back to school. I'm working on an MA. All of these things that, you know, had I not started working with Amy, absolutely would not be happening. Sponsoring women again, taking them through the steps, working with newcomers, all of those tools, right? and uh, having a good relationship with a God of my understanding again, you know? I'm not always looking for ways to separate myself from God. I'm trying to figure out my 24 hours, how can I get closer? And, you know, I can get closer by being of service. So I really am, you know, working on being of service to others very foreign concept for me in that 22nd year when I started working with Amy, you know? Um, and I am so grateful that um, I did stay and I did start the work, you know? I'm only halfway through, promises are coming through, really good things are happening. Am I still an alcoholic? Absolutely. When I'm getting up in the morning, I am like hitting my knees, doing my prayers, you know, trying to listen to God's grace and what God has for me each and every day, rather than what Sherry has for me each and every day, because that list is endless. So, um, 
you know, very glad to be here tonight. Thank you so much, Anita, for calling on me to speak. Um, and I think that's that's what I have tonight. But thank you so much and have a good meeting. Our second 10-minute speaker is Hugo. Hey, my name is Hugo. I'm an alcoholic. Um, I got sober on December 13, 2014. My sponsor is Adam D. I belong to the Atlantic Group, and I'm working on steps nine, living in 10, 11, 12. So, uh, also, it's an honor and a privilege to speak at my home group. Super psyched to be here. Um, I'll start at the beginning. Um, my first drunk, my first time ever drinking, I was, uh, I was working at Old Navy, um, and I was working on Friday night summer shift. I was 16 years old, about to go into my junior year of high school, and I was like a church boy. I was like a super, I was in this crazy religion. Like, it's not a crazy religion. I was Jehovah's Witness. Um, so all my friends knew that I was like this, like innocent little virgin. And uh, they texted me on a Friday night to invite me to go to a party. And I didn't know what lie to say to my parents. Because, you know, it was 11 o'clock. So I just shut off my Nokia brick phone. I walked out of Old Navy. I jumped into the backseat of this car. Went to a basement party. My first beer to hit my lips was through a funnel. Budweiser, I funneled, I want to say, I want to say I funneled like, like 15, 20 beers. Like I was really good at it right away. Like it just went straight down, didn't feel it. Everyone was like chanting my name. They were like so impressed. I puked, I ate White Castle, I blacked out and I woke up uh, on the car ride home on the Garden State Parkway. The sun's coming up, Incubus is playing. The windows are down and I had like a spiritual awakening. That was like the best night of my life. I can't believe that. Like it was like a movie, man. Like, you know, just like I was like the craziest person at the party, like people chanting my name. I went to when we got back to school, like people were like talking about it. Like, yo, create like church, uh, you know, church Hugo got wasted at this party, you know? So I knew like that was how I could get attention. And I didn't drink all the time through high school, but every time we went to a party, I was definitely the drunkest person there. And then, um, you know, I went, I went to college and I realized very quickly that no one's like, you know, you don't get, you don't get detention for not showing up to class. So I just would leave in the morning, like if I was going to school and then I'd just go get wasted with my friends. So that didn't last. Um, I was in school for like a semester and then, you know, got cut, um, or dropped out, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, so I got a job at a club in uh, Midtown Manhattan. It was called the Downtime or the Downtown. It's like it's a two-floor club. It's got three bars. I was 18 years old. I was a bar back. All I did was I just went between the bars, making sure they had ice, you know, changing the kegs, making sure they had the liquor. And I worked goth night, which was super fun. And uh, we made really good money. And then at 4 a.m., we'd kick everyone out. And then we just, you know, clean up and sit at the bar until like eight or nine in the morning, just getting wasted. And I thought, again, like I made it, like this is it, like life can't get any better. I'm like making good money. I'm hanging out with like all these older people and like they're, you know, they're like 30 and they're, they drink like I drink. I'm going home on the train while everyone else is going to work in the morning. Like I figured it out. You like, you guys are all suckers. And, um, and that's what I did. That's, I was a bartender all over New York and Brooklyn for most of my adult life um 
and it was awesome. Um, except it wasn't because I had horrible consequences since the beginning. I've been getting arrested since I was 17 years old. My first AA meeting was in county jail. Um, we used to, I remember we used to watch Smallville and, uh, so we were like really psyched at 7 PM to sit in the community room and put on Smallville. And these guys came in, shut off the TV, put the chairs in a circle and started talking about how they don't drink anymore. And I thought they were a bunch of losers, a bunch of nerds, had nothing better to do on a Friday night than come to jail. Tell us about how they, you know, <laughs> how they don't drink anymore. Like whatever, bro. Meanwhile, like I'm in jail on a Friday night, you know, like I can't physically leave. I'm wearing both my jumpsuits so that the other one doesn't get stolen. Like that's my life. But these guys are a bunch of losers. So obviously I didn't like AA and I kept it moving. And I was like 20, 20, 21 at the time. And then around 24 years old, I got, I got arrested. I got a, I got a felony charge um, and I was facing five to 10 years in prison. So, you know, my lawyer was like, Hey, it's your first felony. No big deal. Just tell them you have a problem with alcohol. And I was like, sure. So, <clears throat> so they sent me away to like a state run rehab, which is like, basically it's, uh, it's like boot camp for alcoholics. And like, they wake you up in the middle of the night, they make you stand like at attention. They'll, they'll you know, stay step four. You need to recite it off the top of your head. So like we memorized the steps, um, you know, I was in there for six months. I was in the outpatient for nine months and I walked out of there and my life was really good. I was 25 years old. I was so, I had a year and some change sober. I got, I went from working at weird clubs and bars to working in fine dining in the meatpacking districts. Uh, thank you, Ashley. And, um, and yeah, everything got really good, really fast. And then like, you know, for absolutely no reason, I was running a long distance race and uh, some girl puts a gin and tonic across the table after the race. At the, and I was like, no, thank you. I'm an alcoholic. I don't drink. And she was like, but you deserve it. And I was like, you're right. I do. So I started drinking and, you know, I, I, I nothing happened that first night and nothing happened the second night. And I went out every single night for 10 days. And then I woke up and I was like, oh, wow, I'm deaf. Something's wrong. <laughs> like, I feel terrible. And, um, you know, within a year, I lost everything. I lost the apartment. I lost the, I lost the job. I was working in dive bars in Brooklyn. And one day I was riding my bike through Brooklyn drunk and I ran a stop sign, a car hit me and I went through the windshield with my face. I got 49 stitches on my head and I walked out of there and I was like, I should go back to AA. And I did what I like to call AA a la carte where I pick and choose what I think is going to work. I got a sponsor. I did some, I chaired the 46th street clubhouse and 12 workshop. And, you know, things got good for a while. And then within 10 months, I was drinking again. And then, you know, like, just the worst, like, part of my drinking were those last, like, two years where I was, like, homeless. I couldn't hold a job. Which, by the way, it's, like, so easy to hold a bartending job. Like, you can drink on the job. You just can't black out. And I kept, like, missing that sweet spot. And, like, I'd always hit, like, you know, go over the mark and get fired. And um, so nothing happened the day I got sober. I was homeless. I had gotten fired from my last job. I went into treatment. Somebody brought in a meeting. Thanks, Ashley. And, um, you know, I just, I, some guy came in and said, you don't ever have to do this again, man. You don't ever have to come back here, but you have to do exactly what I did. And it occurred to me that I'd never done exactly what you guys did. So I walked out of rehab after four months. I raised my hand at a meeting and I said, I just got out of treatment and I need a sponsor. And this guy offered to be my sponsor. And he asked me if I was willing to do anything to stay sober. And I said, yeah, man, whatever. And uh, he told me to read the first 164 pages of the big book. 
He told me to uh, call him every day before noon. He told me to pray in the morning and pray at night, uh, thanking God for keeping me sober and help asking him to keep me sober. He told me to get three service commitments at three different meetings weekly. He told me to call three other alcoholics a day, and we started working the steps. And my life has been absolutely awesome ever since. Because people say insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. I think insanity is coming to a 12-step meeting and not doing the 12 steps. I thought you guys had like a self-help program, you know, where we talked about our feelings. And I thought that was really corny. And uh, it's not. It's obviously not a self-help program. It's a help others program. The whole point of me going through the steps is so that I can go out and bring someone else through the steps. And if I'm not carrying the message of Alcoholics Anonymous, it is absolutely inevitable that I will drink and die. And... Um, I mean, it's just so evident. Like, if you just look at the track record of my life, I'm literally a loser. Like, a loser loses things. I literally lost everything. Like, I would, I lost. I've kicked. I've been kicked out of every apartment I've ever lived in, and I've been fired from every job I've ever had. Like, that's not. I'm a just a failure at life. And then, as soon as I did these steps, my whole life changed completely. And not only like. Not only, like, do I have a purpose in life, like, my purpose is to stay sober and help another alcoholic, but also by doing that, like, everything else in my life, it's not that I'm, like, living, like, this life full of riches and everything's beautiful, but yeah, man, everything's beautiful, baby, <laughs> like, things are going well, like, I, I'm, I'm employable, I have a place to live, um, uh, you know, every, like, just the normal human things, like, that is what I, that's what AA, AA has given me, I am living my life like a normal human being, and that's, all I could have ever asked for, right? Um, I have one minute left, so I will just uh, say that I did this. I'm doing the same things that my sponsor asked me to do in the beginning. I still call other alcoholics. I still call my sponsor every day before noon, and I still do at least three service commitments at three different meetings. Um, on top of that, I make sure that I bring in meetings to uh, any facility or um, institution um, uh, service with CTFC because that is literally that's what Bill and Bob did like they didn't have meetings all they did is they don't they went into facilities to carry the message of Alcoholics Anonymous um, so if we want to keep it to brass tacks absolutely if you're new do service and uh, start bringing meetings into treatment and facility centers and that is all I have yeah thank you trust God clean house help others as was said this meeting is open to anyone However, we are an anonymous fellowship and ask that what you hear and whom you see remain here. Our main speaker tonight is Therese P. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for that introduction. Um, my name is Therese and I am an alcoholic. I'm always like, where do I look? <laughs> um, Deborah, thank you for asking me to speak and uh, thank you so much to the first two speakers. Your stories were fantastic. Uh, you had me laughing. And just to see the joy um, in your faces, um, you know, as, as we all trudge this road of recovery, it's, it's pretty remarkable. So my sobriety date is December 4th, 1996. I got sober at 20 years old. I never had a legal drink. I turned 21 in a lot of bars, but never <laughs> I never had a legal drink. Um, my addiction and alcoholism, um, it was like a runaway freight train heading straight for a brick wall. That's how my dad described it. And uh, I was able to get off um, by the grace of God uh, that I, I, I believe in today. And I didn't always, um, I believed in me. And uh, I believe in me today, but in a much different way. And I'll get to that in a minute. Um, 
so first drink was at 11 last drink was at 20. my last using was started with white zinfandel and ended up in a crack house uh, with my life almost taken from me and it was at that moment that i finally stopped blaming my parents my siblings my guidance counselor my teachers ad infinitum <laughs> i'm a big blamer um if you had my life you would drink too if you had my brothers and sisters you would drink too if you if you went through what i went through and i was terminally unique nobody understood the level of pain that i um was born into and endured and I was introduced to AA for the first time at 15 in a, uh, at, when I was in my first psych ward. And they said, um, Therese, if you keep drinking and drugging the way that you are, you're gonna be a full blown alcoholic in no time. And as a really mature, respectful 15 year old, I, uh, I, I said, thanks for sharing and bye-bye. Um, and I basically, again, blamed everything around me. And, and the best part was I would get, <laughs> so sick. I would get the psychiatrists on my side. <laughs> I would explain to them how messed up my, my family actually was, you know, and here's the deal guys. Like I come from an alcoholic family. They are messed up, right? I, I had two adults raising eight kids who were emotionally like 12 years old. It was messed up. It wasn't pretty. It was messy and it was loud and it was full of alcoholism. But that's not why I'm an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic because when I put alcohol into my system, this phenomenon of craving is kicked off and I cannot stop. Even if I like have the best intentions and I'm wearing the best dress and I have like the best red lipstick on and my whole deal is like one or maybe two drinks and I'm gonna like totally flirt with Johnny for the rest of the night. I start out with that intention. I end up with my friends dropping me off on my front porch, ringing the doorbell and then running away so my father can find me like that. That's how it happens. It's such a bummer. And, and, and I didn't know what was wrong. And so instead of ever, ever looking inward, I just kept pointing the finger outward. And it worked for a long time until it stopped working. And that was the scariest night of my life. And it was at that moment that I realized, I not realized, I understood like from the inside out that I can't, I can't do, I can't drink successfully. Like I can't drink like normal people. Like who starts out the night with white Zinfandel and then ends up, you know, where I ended up that night. So now I'm scared. Now I'm scared because all the stuff you had been telling me all these years in and out of psych wards and in and out of AA meetings and it was true. And uh, what, what that night gave me though was a gift and it was called desperation. And it allowed me to ask for help. And it allowed me to leave the almighty Therese and ask for help out there. Um, and what that meant was that now you knew that I didn't know it all. <laughs> and that's what I was trying to save face uh, from. And I remember an old timer, I'm not gonna curse, I promise. Um, but the expression was really right on. And he said to me, Therese, you can't save your face and your butt at the same time. When you come into AA, you gotta save your butt. Forget about your face. Get in here, get honest, get rigorously honest and, and let us teach you how to stay sober, right? And so um, 
I kind of had willingness at this point because I was really scared. I couldn't, I couldn't use successfully. So I end up in this treatment center. I end up being super crazy in the treatment center and I end up getting called out by a counselor. And my best idea is to like run away from the treatment center in the dead of winter and like go back to uh, the bars that believe I'm 21. They probably didn't, but they just kept serving me anyway. And, um, and telling everybody how messed up the treatment center was and how messed up the counselor was. Again, blame, 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 blame. And when I was halfway uh, down the driveway outside of this treatment center, uh, all of a sudden I stopped and I was breathing really heavily and I looked around and it was just white snow everywhere on every tree, every building. Um, and it was quiet. That's what I remember. It was so quiet. So I could, I could hear the breathing, right? Cause I was in a rage and uh, my gut got really hot and this thought went through my head and it said, stop running away, go back inside clear as day so i go back inside and the counselor's there he's like are you done and i was just like okay so i smoked a couple cigarettes and then my mom picked me up a couple days later and i ended up back in the same aa meetings that i had completely uh was like the girl in the back row smoking the cigarettes and like commenting on everybody's share the one that you guys would be like, you need to go. <laughs> or most people, you need to go. So I um, I walked back into those same rooms and um, Marvin was sitting at the head of the table, just like he was before I relapsed. And he was sharing the same thing about sleeping in abandoned buildings and the cockroaches were his friends and eating out of dumpsters. And whereas before I would sit there and listen to Marvin and snicker, and think about how I was, all the ways I was different from Marvin and how that would never be me. You guys, I sat there and I listened and I could hear what was being shared. I couldn't hear before. And I don't know why I was given this gift so early in my life, but I sat at that table and I listened to where alcoholism could take me. And I listened to the absolute aloneness that this guy named Marvin experienced living in abandoned buildings and talking to like rats and cockroaches because those were his only friends and eating out of a dumpster. And, and all of a sudden, instead of becoming separate and different, I was like, wow, I don't want that. I want to stay sober. I don't have any idea what this life is going to look like, but I don't want that. And um, so I began my journey and it wasn't graceful and it wasn't pretty. My story is messy and my recovery is slow. Um, but God willing, if I don't pick up a drink on December 4th of this year, I will celebrate 25 years of sobriety in this program. And, uh, and I feel extremely, extremely <laughs> proud of that because so much of that is in spite of myself. So I get sober and for the first seven years, the only thing I do right is I don't pick up a drink. I have a sponsor, but the place where I lived and I grew up, it, steps and the big book and stuff, it wasn't like, I don't know, I, I wasn't I wasn't like doing, I don't know, right? Like I was just not drinking. People were like, just don't drink and go to meetings. Don't drink and go to meetings. 
I was also 20 years old, emotionally 11. So I was just like looking at all the cute guys. And that's what got me to keep coming back. And I remember when I finally did get a sponsor, we both laughed about it um, because they said, whatever brings you back to your second meeting, just, just, just stay, just stay. The program will get you. So at seven years, I, um, uh, I moved to New York City to pursue my dreams of being a perform, uh, an actor, working actor. And um, I was sick. I was so dry. I was such a dry drunk. It wasn't even funny. I basically put down alcohol and tried to pick up relationships. And I was like, if I just meet the right person, everything will work out. And uh, when I'm in charge of Therese's love life, it's a toxic mess. <laughs> but I'm the last one that gets the memo, right? But in hindsight, I'm like, oi, my God. And I brought them all home to meet my parents. I owe another amend. So I, um, I'm sober, right? So like I'm doing it right. No, because there's no God. There's no steps. There's no, there's no solution that you guys brought into my life, right? The big book brought into my life. So seven years sober, I'm in New York City. I'm living in an apartment with a, I think she's a cocktail waitress or a stripper. I don't know. She never wore clothes. And like, there's no, there's one window in the entire apartment and that's in her room and there's cockroaches. And it's, it's just like, wow, here I am in New York City. <laughs> if I could make it here, I could make it anywhere. And I, uh, I, w I just was losing my mind. And uh, this guy that I had broken up with, you know, like years before, but of course was still calling me because I had absolutely no boundaries, told me he met the girl of his dreams and they were going to Vegas. And I was just like, aha, uh -huh, bye-bye. And I hung up the phone and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I want to drink. And, uh, and I did what I did seven years before. And I opened up uh, an AA book, a meeting book that I had gotten somewhere. And there was a meeting at Jan Hoos at 10 o'clock, a woman's meeting on a Saturday. And I was like, boom, there it is. And I walked into that meeting and I didn't know anybody. And I just raised my hand again, grace, right? Being given the strength to do that, which I can't do on my own. And I said out loud, I have seven years sober and I am really messed up and I need help. And I asked, again, I asked for help. And uh, these two adorable girls my age came hurling after me, after the meeting, hurtling towards me, Liz and Sue. And uh, they were like, oh my God, we have a meeting you have to come to. You have to come to the Atlantic group. And I was just like, the, 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 what, 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 the what now? And I was like, you guys need to calm down. <laughs> like, I, I have you at a 15. I need to dial you down to about a six. And uh, Liz would not let go. She's just like, you're coming, you're coming, you're coming. And I was like, oi, oi, what is happening here? So they brought me to the Atlantic group on a Tuesday. And they said, everyone here works a program. So just, and guys, I was not picky. I was hurting. Like, I was two days sober again. And so there was a woman named Bonnie. And uh, she was, you know, hysterically talking to somebody. And I just, I don't know why I had the courage to do this, but poked her on the shoulder. And I was like, hi, I'm new and I need a sponsor. Are you sponsoring people? And she was like, she looked at me, looked me up and down. And she said, mm-hmm, uh, bring your big book and a pen and a highlighter and meet me every Tuesday at five o'clock before the meeting. And uh, I'll see you next week. And that was it. And I was like, alrighty then. Um, so the next Tuesday came and I forgot my book, but 
it's no problem. I can share with Bonnie. It's no big deal. So I go to the place she told me to meet her at. And she was like, where's your book? And I was like, oh, I just forgot it in the apartment. Can I just share with you? And she looked me again. <laughs> this is, I just remember remembering this like so well. And she, um, she said, no, 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 do not waste my time. I got on a train from Queens to get here to read with you. I asked you to bring three different things, a highlighter, a pen, and a book, and you did not show up with that. So next week, when you show up with your materials, we'll go through the big book together. And I was like, lady, calm down. What is your problem? <laughs> blame, 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 blame. Finger, 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 finger. And uh, I was really embarrassed and really angry. And then I took a deep breath. And what did I do the following week, guys? I showed up with my book and my highlighter and my pen and I sat down because I was fresh out of ideas, but she still, I felt like she was a bit much. <laughs> and, and honestly, she, she saved my life because what she did was she put down a boundary and she was super clear with me. I am spending my time with you to go through this book. So your life will change so that then she asked me two questions. Are you willing to go to any lengths to stay sober? And I said, yes, I am. And she said, when we are finished doing the steps, are you willing to take another woman through this book the same way I took you through it? And I said, yes, I am. And, uh, and that started to change my life, really, really change my life. Um, I thought AA was the place where I got to come and complain about, you know, whatever guy I was dating. I thought it was, you know, I got to take burning desires and talk about how annoying my mother was. Like, I didn't know this was about service. Um, so fast forward, um, I'm in New York City and things start to happen and I continue to beat the pavement and some uh, doors open and, and other doors close and I end up in a career that I never even expected. And it's, you know, as a, a working artist, sorry, I'm just, I'm getting texts and making sure it's not the timekeeper. Um, and so I am, oh, 15 minutes. Wonderful. I got it. Thank you so much. So, um, so I'm just trudging along, right? I'm trudging along. I'm making friends. I'm making beautiful friends, you know, Tika and Sue and Liz and, I'm spacing names just because it's been, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Um, Kelly and, you know, and then all of a sudden everybody starts getting married and like moving to Brooklyn and having kids. And I'm like, like looking around and I'm showing up to hospitals where my, my friends are having babies and I'm seeing these babies and then I'm, well, sorry, I'm showing up to the weddings first and like <laughs> doing that. And then they have the babies and then all this stuff's happening. And I'm, so my sponsor is Stacy, Stacy S. And I remember I called him from Brooklyn and I said, uh, God forgot about me, like straight up. He forgot about me. And I, you know, what am, I'm like, you know, 15 years sober, 16 years. I'm like, but everybody has a husband and a kid and a, they're all in Brooklyn and they're all doing, and I was living in Brooklyn at the time too, but all I saw was what everybody else had. And I didn't, and I was, I was really, it's this disease is cunning, baffling and powerful. And I was going back to that victim mentality of before I came in here. Um, why do you have that and I don't? Why does she have that and I don't? Well, what's wrong with me? Why did God forget about me? And Stacy listened to my, to my tantrum. Um, I like to believe it was, you know, very valid, but it wasn't in hindsight. And he said to me, oh, I didn't know we were dealing with a Santa Claus God. And I was like, Stacy, what does that even mean? And he was like, 
you got a you got a god that it, when things are going really well you believe in him but if things aren't going according to the way you need them or want them to go nowhere in the picture and again just like with bonnie really really annoyed and really angry and i'm pretty sure i got off the phone very quickly after that but i kept thinking about it because my book the big book that we all read from and we do studies from and we do steps from says that god is either everything or he's nothing what is my choice like what what am i choosing am i choosing the buffet am i am i picking and choosing like little things or am i practicing these principles in all my affairs well i'm here to tell you I was not practicing my print these principles in all my affairs. I was practicing these principles where it was comfortable for Therese. And I still was running the show when it came to my my uh, relationships. I was still running the show when it came to money and career. And um, I was turning stuff over, you know, as was comfortable, but not like the big book asks and not like the steps suggest, right? <laughs> suggest. So I was listening to, um, I'm so sorry, I don't remember your name, but reading the, the 12 steps today. And when you got to 11, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. I was like, man, how did I, how did I miss that? Like every time it was read in a meeting. <laughs> and why is that so clear lately? So I'm just staying sober and I'm, I'm working as a creative person and life is getting big and I uh, meet someone and we get married and uh, we buy a house and I'm continuing to work and things are just amazing and I'm working and I'm working and I'm working and, you know, because money becomes my higher power and, you know, no, I don't need to go home. I'll just stay in a hotel in the city because I'll work two, two jobs today and it's, it's fine. It's fine. It's all about money. It, it, and on June 11th of this year, of this summer, I was driving to uh, Ridgewood, New Jersey to meet my sister and my niece for dinner. And a drunk driver decided to get out of his lane and come into mine and accelerate to bypass all the traffic. And instead of bypassing, he hit me at 65 miles an hour head on. And what I remember is that I came to and my head was dipped below the airbag. And I, all I heard was, Therese, 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 Therese. I thought I was saying that. That wasn't me. I don't know who woke me up. I don't know what angel woke me up, but I woke up. And within seconds, some good Samaritans that pulled over on the side of the road because both cars were engulfed in flames, pulled me out of the car um, I was a mess, guys. I had bones sticking out of everywhere. And uh, yeah, it wasn't pretty. And then they pulled the other two guys, the drunk driver and his brother out of their cars. And within seconds, I kid you not, it was on Channel 7 News, both cars exploded. <sighs> Tires were exploding. I felt like I was in a war zone. The guys picked me up again, dragged me over to where the ambulance was coming in. Telephone wires fell down and exploded one after another after another after another and um i remember uh my my pants being cut and then tied around my right leg as a tourniquet and uh screaming so loud 
And I thought that I was speaking uh, clearly, but apparently I had bit down so hard on the inside of my mouth that I was just um, but I thought I was I was talking because um, I have I have memories. So I get to Hackensack Hospital, total gift from God, amazing in trauma. I get uh, rushed to the emergency room and uh, I meet Dr. Keller, who is going to later just completely sew me back up and put me put me back together and save my life. She's who I want to be when I grow up next time, <laughs> if that if, if that happens. And um, so I spend the next two months, I spend all of this summer, six weeks in Hackensack uh, Hospital, the beginning of it in ICU, where two, the person to the right of, to, in front of, sorry, the person to the left of me and to the right of me pass away that night. And I don't understand what's happening. I don't understand what's going on. I was going to get sushi with my with my niece and my sister. I had a great hat on. I had a great shade of lipstick on. I, I was going to get sushi. Why am I in this room and what's happening and why can't I talk and where, where is everybody and why does my wristband say Zula Alpha? Because they couldn't find any identification on me and so my name became Zula Alpha. And so no one could find me for 24 hours because they were calling every hospital and police station and they didn't have my name. So I was by myself. I was with myself. <sighs> But I wasn't alone. I wasn't alone for one second of that accident and that recovery and that emergency room and that ICU and then six weeks in the hospital like a baby, not even being able to walk or get up. And I don't have to get into all of that. And then four weeks in a rehab trying to learn how to like use my body again and then being told yesterday three and a half months after the crash happened that i can finally put weight on my right leg which means i can learn how to walk again it's not the therese show anymore man it's just not god was with me every second of that accident every second of of my life every 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 second man like not just when I booked the gig or when I, when I got the date or when I, you know, oh my God, the jeans fit again, or, you know, all the stuff that we, we do to ourselves. I, I'm sorry. I, um, that's the kind of God I used to have, right? That's the kind of God. And you guys, I tapped into a strength and into a grace and into, I think the real Therese in the last three and a half months that I am just so proud to live in this body. And I'm the girl that was always like, oh my God, I gotta lose five pounds. Oh my God, do you see these love handles? Oh my God, like putting myself down, like always trying to change something. You guys, I promise I will never put my body down again. Seeing what it has been through and what it is recovering from, it is remarkable. We are remarkable human beings. So let me get current. So I'm home now. I'm, uh, I just got told that I could, I could put weight on my right foot. I'm going to go to physical therapy tomorrow for the first time in, in the gym. I've been doing physical therapy at home up until now. And I call my sponsor and I have epic meltdowns 
And then I call my sponsor and I'm laughing. And then I text pictures of how, there's about 35 screws in between my ankle and my knee on my right leg, which was completely demolished. And I want to just say to you guys, I got another message. Hold on. I think it's probably like five minutes or something. Um, I got really angry. I have five minutes remaining. I got really angry at this guy that hit me. And I got really confused going back to AA meetings because I was hit by a drunk driver. And I really, really, really wanted to grab my blame backpack and just put that sucker back on and just trudge and be like, yeah, well, wait till you hear what happened to me, right? And so I put the backpack on and you guys, within like three minutes, it was too freaking heavy. It was like boulders in it. So I took it off. And as soon as I took it off, I had this thought in my head and it said, what if, what if this is his bottom? What if he changes and maybe goes and tries to get help? How dope would that be? How amazing would that be? And then, you know, Rufus comes in, oh, you're not gonna get sober. Is this gonna like kill somebody? And I was like, we don't know. I'm not supposed to be here. I drank white Zinfandel and, and vodka and bourbon and then laid down in the middle of a highway hoping a tractor trailer ran me over at 18 years old. I'm not supposed to be here. Everything that happened after 20 years old is a gift and a miracle. This crash has given me clarity and has given me compassion and has knocked the armor that I have worn around my heart my whole life right out of the window. And I cry every day, you guys, every day, usually around it's between like four and six will be my meltdown, but every day, and that's not me. I'm the girl that was like stomping into AA with her combat boots and pierced my own nose and shaved my hair, which is like, what, what? <laughs> First time I met Stacy, I was like, what up, homie G? Like no manners. He's like, my name is Stacy. And I just was like mortified by myself, him, everything. What an animal I was, feral. I came into AA, a feral animal. I can safely say I'm sitting here tonight, a woman of grace and dignity. And that's not lip service. I can look in the mirror and be really proud of the woman I've grown into as a recovering member of Alcoholics Anonymous and have been able to then guide other women through a, through the steps, through the book. Um, that's the best gift. And if you don't have it, Hugo mentioned it about being of service. Please give yourself the gift of going into a jail or an institution. Give yourself the gift of, of sponsoring somebody and watch the light come on in their eyes when they realize like, holy cow, I'm like, I'm like a valuable person. Like I, I I'm supposed to be here. I'm not a waste of space. I can, I have hope. I can, I can like help somebody else. That's where my self-esteem started growing was when I learned my crazy past could be of use to you. And so now I have a car accident to share <laughs> by a drunk driver at almost 25 years sober as I sit in my wheelchair and talk to you guys tonight with my leg propped up because I put some weight on it today and it was like, it's all good. I'm sober. I got a chance and so do you. So if no one told you yet today, they love you. I love you. And thank you for helping me stay sober for another day.
My name is Deborah, and I'm an alcoholic, and I chair the Atlantic Group. Let's thank tonight's speakers, Sherry, Hugo, and Therese, for a fantastic meeting.